I was frustrated about the recent tragedy in Atlanta. It became so frustrating to see people arguing over the ins and outs of whether it was racism or whether it had to do with sexual addiction. And all of these things are so intertwined. And in my mind, I was like, can't we just stop arguing about that and start loving all the people that are now anxious and feeling vulnerable and feeling unvalued? And can't we focus on that? The Shepherd in the Shrink podcast can only happen with your support. Please go to patreon.com, search for the Shepherd in the Shrink podcast and find all kinds of cool stuff that we have in store for you. You can build the heart of a lion with a strong mind and spirit because a lion's natural state is one of safety through courage, strength, and power. Hi, I'm the shepherd and pastor, Dr. Matt Hook. And I'm the shrink, Dr. Marty Fletcher. This is the show where theology meets psychology or mental health meets spirituality. Welcome to the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. Well, good afternoon, Marty. Good afternoon, Matt. I would like to introduce you to my really good friend, Kim Reisman. I always wanted to be a part of her family. I know her sister and her brother and her mom and dad are great too, but Kim has been a wonderful friend through the years. We've been on different continents together and in different countries together because Kim, who's an ordained pastor in the United Methodist Church like I am, is now the world director of World Methodist Evangelism. There is a World Methodist Council that involves how many millions of people? Like over 84 million in the whole of the Methodist family around the globe that traced mm -hmm. their roots to the revival that took place in, in England in the 1700s with John and Charles Wesley and lots of branches of Christianity, but all those branches get together and they have called up Kim Reisman to be a world director of World Methodist Evangelism and to work with the church that way. And she and I became friends, fast friends in Cuba. That's this right. Like 16 years ago or 17 years ago. And all I wanted was a Havana sweatshirt or a Havana t-shirt, like University of Havana. And these guys were showing us there and they kept leading us further and further away from everything. Just the two of us. We ended up in this apartment with like three locks on it and they pulled out Cuban cigars for us. But Kim was ready to bolt. Oh, I was absolutely ready to bolt. I couldn't believe we were continuing to follow this stranger who just was so nice to us. But I was like, this is not, this is not good. And no one knows where we are. So we didn't have cell phones then. Um, That's right. That's right. But it was a great adventure. It yeah. was a great adventure. It was one of many. And Kim and I have been a part of lots of different organizations with World Methodist Evangelism, just seeking to help people understand the, the love and the joy that is a part of sharing faith with other people. And, you know, we kind of ha are so polite. A lot of the times we don't want to offend anybody. And Kim has a beautiful illustration of that called Embrace that she teaches around the world and across cultures, which has been really cool. But she's also written a number of other books and workbooks and a lot on spiritual formation and spiritual disciplines. So Marty and Kim, welcome to the podcast mm -hmm. today. I'm really, really excited. I am too, actually. What Marty and I have been doing is looking at psychology and Christianity or psychology and faith or spirituality and how that fits together. Marty has a practice here and 
he has patients that he is helping so much so that he has to keep growing his practice. And um, a lot of people have been really impacted by his help. His specialty is anxiety and depression. Marty and I have been having this conversation with people and, and with him, with his practice and with my experience, it's just been a great combination. Yeah, and Kim, what I'm wondering about is um, when I came to the faith and started reading the gospel, I saw how nicely or how much good psychology there is in the scriptures and how the way I was trained, the knowledge that I have dovetails beautifully. I think that the gospel goes much further, of course, but they can be integrated, right? And, and so part of that is, is, is how do we take our consciousness, let's use psychological terms, and actually rewire our brain, become a new creature, right? Because that, that's what cognitive psychology is doing. The difference is, is it's not just, just symptom relief, not with the gospel. It goes further than that to deep issues of meaning and purpose. So I'm really interested in hearing what you have to say about that and how we can practice that because we do get good at what we practice. Oh, we absolutely get good at what we practice. Absolutely. But that's a humongous question. Mm-hmm, <laughs> that's like a really huge question. And it's the first question. So really right out of the box, you're just so going for the big thing. I'm curious. <laughs> no, I think it's a great question, but I think there's a whole lot of levels to it. And I'm not a trained psychologist. So I may not be expressing myself in the right way from the perspective of psychology. But I think that one of the reasons why what you're talking about, psychology and and spirituality and and Christian faith particularly, dovetail so nicely is because where one ends, the other picks up, so to speak. I think we can become more self-aware. I think we can become more in tune with with our emotions and and our bodies and all of those things that are intertwined. And that's that to me plays into things like anxiety and depression and all those things that, that, and that's the angle you're coming from. But where that trails off is where I believe spirituality picks up. And there's a, there's definitely an overlap between the two, but they're not exactly the same. And so it seems to me that you kind of get to the end of the road of where psychology will take you. And that is where your spirituality and your, and your roots and in your faith pick up to strengthen and carry you a little bit further on your walk. So that's that's kind of how I look at it from the perspective of, of the two entities. Yeah, I'm agreeing with that because like I said, it does go further. It does go further than just symptom relief. It's almost like the, the positive mental health and physical health benefits are, they're, they're, they're nice byproducts. They're not the goal, right? but they sure are nice to have. Right, exactly. Well, and I also think that there's there's an element in which Psychology has us thinking very much in a contained thing. I, I am my emotions. I am my mind, my consciousness, and what, what have you. And Christian faith asks us to take a step beyond that. I am that, but I am also more than that because of the Spirit of God that dwells within me. So there's, there's going to be, in, in my mind, there's going to be, there's going to be these byproducts good health and self-awareness and, and all of that kind of stuff. But then there's going to be an, an element of power and strength that comes outside of ourselves that enables us to, again, grow and, and move beyond what, if, what we could think of if we were just focusing on our self-contained consciousness, bodies, what have you. You meet God at the edge of your understanding. Yes, and very well said. One of the things that I want to ask you, Kim, is the idea of, I know you've been to so many different continents visiting with Christ followers all over the world. 
and would love for you to share a little bit of that experience and how you see kind of this combination of the mental health along with spiritual health that we talk about. What are you seeing? And I know COVID has shut a lot of the traveling down, mm-hmm. but all of the traveling down. All, let's say it. <laughs> yeah. All of the traveling. All of the traveling. Oh, it's painful. It is. But as you travel and cross so many cultural barriers and boundaries, literally. Mm-hmm. Tell us about some of your experiences and conversations that you have with leadership, with people. Would love just to hear some of that and what you've experienced. Well, I think it's interesting that we've segued a little bit in in our conversation because God meets us at the end of ourselves. That's just a great, a great way to look at things. And in my travels, I've had a lot of experiences and engaged with people who are willing to more willing to get there in order to meet God. It's, and it's not getting to the end of themselves in a, a mental health way, like a crisis or something like that, but they're just willing to open themselves and move beyond themselves in a way that's just really powerful to witness and really encouraging it. It has opened me really to a new way of viewing who I am as a, as a child of God and how much of my inner life I'm willing to give to God at any given time. So it's not so much an issue of crisis or mental health as it is just a willingness to to really live in a wide open way that gives God access to all different parts of me, you know, not the parts that I think are appropriate or that I'm proud of, but all of the parts of me, knowing that God will accept those parts, redeem those parts, heal those parts, you know, move those parts forward, whatever. So so that's been a a neat experience just to see the... uh, much more open approach to spirituality and God and relationships in general in that in that regard around the world, particularly in places like Africa and South America. There's just an openness that I've not encountered as much in the States as over there. Ooh, I want to hear more about that. So what, if you were to compare, what are some of the things that really stand out for you? I don't know how to describe it in a really concise way. There's an openness to not having to have all the answers and and all and an an explanation for everything, especially a scientific explanation for everything. So there's a willingness to experience things without having to worry about why they're happening or what exact the details of what's happening and and make sure that everything's in a logical order and all of those kinds of things. So it's a very intuitive approach to to life. Yeah, I guess an intuitive is a good way to think of it because I, I this is an interesting question that I would ask you because the, the whole issue of the work of the Holy Spirit within us and, and our own consciousness or our, you know, or our own conscience, whatever, I deeply believe that the Spirit moves in, in that part of us, moving us to feel guilty when we've done something wrong or enabling us to, to sense God's forgiveness or or any other, you know, any other kind of thing. There's a lot of activity of the Holy Spirit in, in that kind of life of the mind and heart and the emotions. And I deeply b- believe that, but that's not always the easiest thing to, to talk about in a Western context, because we just want everything to be scientific. It needs to be proven and peer-reviewed studies. And, box. Yeah. yeah, everything has a box, exactly. Yeah, well, in other parts of the world, there's there seems to be a, a willingness to not have to have everything in these neat boxes, to not have to have an explanation for everything. I remember, and this didn't even happen, this happened in the United States, but I was at an international gathering 
So there were a lot of, of people from lots of different countries, but particularly there was a, a large group of, of Africans at this, at this conference. And at one point the conference got very contentious. They were dealing with a lot of difficult issues. And, the, and as I sat there, I could feel the temperature in the room drop. It just suddenly got incredibly cold. And I wasn't the only one that felt it. I mean, everyone around me was like, what has happened? And it was right at the moment where things were just incredibly tense. And thankfully, the person who was leading the meeting recognized that this was not, we needed to take a break. So we took a break. And all of these African folks that were at this meeting gathered in a circle and began to, to dance and sing. And as they danced and sang, the temperature in the room began to rise. You could sense, in fact, and again, everyone was sensing this. You could sense that tension had, had left, that everyone was feeling a bit more calm, a bit less anxious, and literally the temperature of the room rose and became warm again. And after later, I found out that what the Africans were doing in that moment was praying in, in their songs. They were praying and calling out for the Holy Spirit to descend upon the room. I believe that that's exactly what happened. And that's what eased the, the tension in, that, in the room and in the space and in a, a lot of the people that were there. Now, uh, several of my colleagues were asking questions about what had happened to the air conditioner or what had happened to the, you know, the heating system or whatever it happened to be. What, they, were, they were not as willing to accept that this might have actually been the movement of the Holy Spirit. When the African group, absolutely, they, they prayed, they called for the power of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit descended, and they, they knew that it had happened, and it was, it was done. And that's a, a difference in attitude, a difference in openness and willingness to, you've got to release a little bit of control in those kinds of situations. Well, that's a good example, in my mind, of the differences between, maybe even between cultures, where you, you feel like you really need to have things in boxes and you're more willing to accept that things might not be as much in your control or might not be as explainable as you thought they were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's our Western positivist, empiricist, materialist explanation closes it out. I see as the material world, it fascinates me. As we get what we ask for in the material world, because look, standard of living goes up. We suffer and it's almost like as this rises, this recedes. Or Yeah. Do you notice that? Well, I noticed that in our culture in, in the U.S. I absolutely noticed yes. that, you know, that's that whole money can't buy happiness thing is is as as true as <laughs> truer than we thought. Yeah, I'm thinking it may prevent it. Yeah. Um, because we do know that the anxiety, that's a, it's not entirely Western, but we do know wherever we import this culture, the anxiety rates go up. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I don't know that because of, of any kind of studies, but, but that would be it. my personal experience. I have definitely seen it. There is a, there's a willingness to trust. There's a willingness to allow things to be a little bit more out of your control. All of those things are more prevalent outside of the United States in, in my experience with traveling particularly in the context of the church, which is the context in which all my travels take place. It's an element of trust that I find to be just really encouraging and challenging for me. Yes. And as I listen to your language carefully, you're talking about it coming from, not from within. We're not producing it. In the West, we think we're producing these thoughts. Nobody knows what a thought is or where it comes from. Right. But my, and I have a hard time explaining this because I came to the faith in 
2014 in, in March. Otherwise I had, you know, I, I was trained overeducated or undereducated, uh-huh. however you want to think about it, right? <laughs> I had too much schooling and lost a lot of that stuff. When it did happen and Matt was around, he was one of the, my first contacts after that. I, to this day, have a hard time explaining that it came from without, it came from outside of me. That's what made it more real. I knew I wasn't producing this myself. I was, I was opening myself to it and, and asking for it, surrendering to it and, and allowing it to happen, right? As we find things, we can find them in the mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think that your description of that is really, is really great. Matt, I'm glad earlier you, you brought up the, the whole metaphor of embrace because what you're talking about is what when we do training and, and helping people to become more comfortable and more confident in sharing their faith, the metaphor of embrace works because just real quick, if you think about an embrace, you have to open your arms to another person. You have to wait for them to open their arms then you embrace and then you open your arms again. And it's that waiting. I use that metaphor as a way to understand this process of sharing our faith. And the reason I think it's really helpful is because of that element of waiting. That that waiting creates the space that's necessary for whatever might potentially happen to happen. However God desires to move through the power of God's spirit can happen when we create that space. And frequently when we think about sharing our faith and when we think about evangelism and that kind of thing, we don't always think about the space that's needed. Emotional space between people, security of space in terms of trust, but just simply space for the power of the Holy Spirit to interject from the outside as you're talking about in order to create change and transform and, and renew. So that's why I think it's a a good metaphor. And I think your story works, I mean, is an example of that. There was space. However that space was created, there was space and the Holy Spirit used it to impact your life. Marty, how would you describe what that space was, that waiting time for you? How did God from the outside reach you in your heart on the inside or your mind? Yeah. Well, Kim, you're, you're talking about something that, that, that I don't hear enough. People aren't talking about it enough. That's the experience <laughs> that I have where in prayer, if I wait with the proper attitude, right? Carry my cross, bear my suffering, believe, trust that something outside of me, it gets delivered. But I notice that there's, it doesn't, there's time involved, Right. And it, and it doesn't happen naturally either because the Western explanation is, oh, you just wait it out and it just it'll remit. No, if you keep practicing negative thinking and things like that, it's going to get entrenched and, and more powerful, not less powerful. But that space that we're talking about, I don't know that in the West, I know I don't have great language for that. When I waited and I told you, Matt, that I've told the story before, I cried out to God and I was completely done with the old stuff. I'd, I'd screwed it up enough. I, I knew it was leading. So I, so there was an absolute surrender where I give up on, on, on the old thing. I repented, like, I'm sorry, but, and, and then nothing happened for like a day. I think it was like a day or two. And then something just amazing happened. That was that space. And then from then on, it was the beginning of a, just a different person that I became. We need to talk, I think, more about this because we are used to putting the quarter in the machine, getting the, you know, pop out or whatever, or soda. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And we think it's not going to happen if it doesn't happen immediately, then we get distracted, I think. Do you think? Mm -hmm. Oh, I think so. And I think, I think from the, 
from the person receipt from the receiving person in your case it would you i think we do we get distracted it doesn't happen fast enough or we think it's never going to happen we think we all kinds of negative stuff can start circulating in our minds we're not worthy we're you know whatever but also on the flip side and this is this is where you know world evangelism works most is on the flip side trying to get people who are already christ followers to be able to share the things that have happened in their lives, the transformative things that have happened in their lives, but to share it in a way that creates the space. Because the flip side of what you're saying, on the side of the people that are doing the sharing, they want instantaneous results. And they don't understand why, or they just want to make sure that the per, that the person they're engaging does it like this, 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 and this, and it has to follow a a set pattern. And if it doesn't follow exactly that pattern, then they're not either they're not doing it right, or God's not working, or that person is just, you know, free them. Yeah. So, so it, it both sides, I think, really need to become more aware of the of the role of waiting and the, the need for space and and the, the whole, the whole importance of making that space secure for other people. I mean, I don't know if anyone else was engaged in in the experience that you had or if it was a completely an experience only within yourself, but but if other people are engaged in this kind of thing, it's important to create this the safe space for people to be able to trust and let go and 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 wait and be supported in their waiting and all of those kinds of things. So it, it's it's really important. Really is important. Didn't we just talk about this on the phone earlier before this? Yeah. Yeah. The difference between doing it alone and how necessary it is to, to find other. Jesus himself said, where two or more are gathered, there I am. Two or more. And if somebody's listening today and you feel completely alone and isolated, first of all, I'm so glad you're listening. And there are people available. There is a step for you to take. It's almost like an embrace. It takes two people, you know, like right. Just go around and hug myself. And, <laughs> and there's a participation. If you're waiting for somebody to force you to do something, God, just prove yourself to me, whatever's going to happen. You know, God's not, God's not a dictator. God's not even a benevolent dictator. He's never going to take away your chance to open your arms to receive the embrace. It takes two people. It takes two people opening their arms, creating this space for this beautiful coming together. I like hugs. I've not been happy this month. <laughs> That's right. Me. Yeah, the reciprocity is absolutely key, both within our, our relationship with God and within our relationship with each other. Because you're right, it takes two, two sets of arms for one embrace. You can never do it alone. That's interesting, reciprocity. Reciprocity. And I think there's a lot of us that are standing around because there's somebody that we think we should be should be giving us an embrace who simply aren't there and mm. they're not participating, but we're waiting and waiting and waiting and it's not happening. And we're demanding something from them that they're not willing to give. We've talked about that in terms of forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're waiting for somebody to say, at least acknowledge when they harmed you or hurt you and they never do, you're still wanting something from them. You're still tied to them. And the beauty of the, the image of an embrace is you know when you hugged someone and they did not want to be hugged. You know every time when they're not really into it or wanting to relate or wanting to connect. Sometimes we have to be willing to know now's not the right time, whether it's in evangelism and faith sharing, whether it's in wanting to, you know, there's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. 
It only takes one to forgive. I can forgive the other person, whether they give a rip about me ever in their lives again. One to forgive, but two to reconcile. And really, evangelism is, is proclaiming this reconciliation that God has made available to us. Absolutely. Absolutely. You see that in various countries. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Your comment about reconciliation is 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 really important because that is that is what we are are doing when we work to share our faith with others. We're we're wanting to be the vehicle of reconciliation between others and God. That also then makes us need to be aware of the need for us to be reconciled with people as well. So reconciliation is a, is a really important element. And when you look at what's going on in the United States today and the amount of issues and isms and and race that is... Um, a lot of reconciliation needs to be happening in the United States and it's not happening. It is. It's a very difficult time. Very difficult time. And I, I mean, that's one of the... It's times like this that, that people need to, to un- hear and experience the love of God more than in, any other time. And... It's a time when, when things get rough like they are right now, we need to stop arguing about why they're so rough and just start loving people <laughs> and just being channels. Uh, I was frustrated about the recent tragedy in Atlanta. It became so frustrating to see people arguing over the ins and outs of whether it was racism or whether it had to do with sexual addiction. And all of these things are so intertwined. And in my mind, I was like, can't we just stop arguing about that and start loving all the people that are now anxious and feeling vulnerable and feeling unvalued? And can we focus on that? Well, because Kim, you're concerned about the most important thing for them, which is their spiritual self. That's the that's what satisfies. I, we we focus too much on the materialism of like getting equity, and I'm not saying that's not important. I grew up in a trailer. I know what it's like to feel like you don't belong and stuff like that. But it, when it's not enough, the higher things, and then you know, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Then those things can work themselves out. But you know, the, the highest things, love. We're not talking about that when we're talking about equality and things like that. Enough, at least I'm not hearing it enough. Maybe. I think the debate about things like that, equality and things like that, they miss the mark because they're not necessarily highlighting the the love and the respect that we need to view everyone as made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. And so if everyone is made in the image of God, we're called to love others as we love ourselves and all of those kinds of things. That's at the that's the foundational layer of any conversation in my mind, the foundational layer of any conversation about about equality is recognizing that we are all one in the sense that we are all made in the image of God. And if you, that's where you have to start. The details are, are going to be different in all kinds of different circumstances. But if you don't start there, you're going to not end in the right spot, in my mind. Yeah, first things, first print. And Matt, you said earlier, you know, that um, you made the observation that we, when we don't forget, we, we still want something from someone. If you know what it's how good it feels to forgive and to get that burden lifted, you want that for them. I don't want anything from you. I want that for you because that's how I learned to forgive. I felt forgiven. And boy, it was like I had what I needed at that point, you know, relief, you know. Well, and that's a that's an interesting thing that you bring up something like a motive motivation, because that's not always been we've not always reached out to folks from a pot perspective of a uh, of a positive motivation 
we frequently reached out with a negative motive, not necessarily negative motivation, but our message is negative. It's not, I've experienced this forgiveness and I want you to be able to experience it too, because it's, it's wonderful. It's, you're such a rotten person, so sinful that you need to turn around. That's a whole lot different than saying, man, I have, we're both in the same boat. We both struggle but this is what I've experienced that made all the difference in the world. And because I care so much for you, I want you to experience it too. That's an entirely different perspective to come at the whole conversation. Yeah. Is it spiritual formation? Could we call it that then? Like that we're, we're more, cons- we become more concerned about theirs, ours as well, giving them that kind of healing. I don't think that's exactly spiritual formation, but it's exactly the spiritual healing that needs to begin for formation to occur. It's like, yeah. Being born again, you know, you, there's forming to be had once you're in that place. Kim, share with us some of your work or some of your understanding or some of your favorite things about spiritual formation. That may be a new concept to people who are listening. Well, spiritual formation is like a, it's, it's a way to talk about growing spiritually in your faith in the same way that you would grow physically from birth on through uh, adulthood. Uh, so that's just the, the way we describe it. So when you begin, when you begin a walk with Christ, you're just like you are, Marty. I'm just on fire and so excited, and you want people to experience this. This, but you haven't. That doesn't necessarily mean that you've got it all sorted out for yourself. And so spiritual formation is the process of you deepening your walk and growing closer, closer to Christ, and more Christ-like as you grow in your faith more and more in sync with God's will for your life and the way you relate to others and the way you relate to the world. So the whole idea of spiritual formation implies a process of growth, not a, not an instantaneous thing. We don't just suddenly become Christians and then immediately are mature. That's just not how it works. I would say if you were, what you're talking about when you're talking about wanting that for the other person, part of your own spiritual formation is the process of understanding how you might be able to lead another person into a relationship with Christ and then begin to disciple them. And so, you know, you would be like the older brother that's, that's, you know, that's helping the younger brother or, or what have you. And so each of us on our journey, part of, of really becoming a mature person in Christ is recognizing that we have an obligation to reach behind us to the folks that are coming behind us and pulling them along. And, and, and part of our deepening faith is discipling others so that they can deepen their faith. So it's, it is a, also a, a cyclical kind of thing and embrace is a good one, a good metaphor for that too, because as soon as we open our arms to, to release and end one embrace, we're ready to, we're already in, this, in the open arm stance we need to start a new one. And, and that's, that's part of the process of spiritual formation is deepening our own faith in order to be able to reach back to enable others to deepen theirs as well. If you were going to give somebody starting out or give somebody who maybe has had a wake up call, what would be some easy wins or what would be some early steps that you would encourage them in spiritual formation? Like if somebody's listening and they're like, what, does that mean you read your Bible? Does that mean you read a devotion? Does you listen to a Christian music station? Do you, you know, <laughs> yeah. do you go serve somebody? A t-shirt. <laughs> there's a lot of different ways that you can begin. And there's really no wrong way to begin. Like it's, you're not, you're not wrong if you start with a devotional instead of 
instead of going out to serve, or you're not wrong if you start with the book of John instead of start starting with the book of Genesis. I mean, there's there's no like specific right or wrong way to do this. The 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 key is is your desire to open your heart and go deeper and closer to Christ. So I think in terms of easy wins, I think serving is always a wonderful way to begin your walk with Jesus. Find a way to to help others. Just find it. There's all kinds of ways that we can help others. And and then the, another easy thing to do, I at least I think it's easy is is find another person that you can walk with. And that doesn't have to be someone that you you don't have to meet every day or you don't have to read the same stuff, but someone that you trust that you can ask all these crazy questions that everyone has about life and faith and everything else. And that person doesn't have to know the answers. So if you're listening and and someone asks you to be that person, go ahead and say yes, because you don't have to have all the answers just to, just to do it. But they're willing to walk with you and ask those questions. And, and even admit that they've get, they've had the same questions too. And I'm struggling this way. And, but here's how, here's how I've, I've found it to, to work well. And here's what God has done for me in my struggle and be willing to have someone or a group of people that, that can be that for you. And, and so that, that I think is an, an important thing. And then be that for someone else. Keep your eyes and ears open. I mean, for m- more mature followers, Keep your eyes and ears open to people that that may just need a an, a listening ear to bounce their questions off of. They're a new Christian and they don't get it, or they you know they've had this wonderful experience, but they don't they're not sure how to incorporate it into their daily life. I mean, be that person for yeah. for someone else or how to talk about it because that's the struggle or, with me. Because I don't think I know anything. I mean, I've only been at this since 2014, so I'm thinking I don't want to lie to myself either and get you know, think I'm better at it than I am. So, you know, I'm a mammal. So we learn by um, observing, you know what I mean? And so I just try to find someone who knows more than I do, and then do what they do. And then if somebody sees that, then they ask me about it, I might be able to tell them, but this is hard to talk about. Mm-hmm. It, is, it is hard to talk about. But I think sometimes we also make it harder. Okay, then we have to to talk about it. Because because again, it, we're struggling to to give words to things that sometimes are deeper than words. That's why things like metaphors are are really so helpful. Because there's a lot of things that aren't as easy to explain in just absolute regular language. But the minute you you paint the picture, you you're like, ah, yes, that's it. And I think sometimes we worry too much about having the exact right word to describe it. And again, that's that's also a matter of if you're the more mature Christian, you you need to give space and freedom for people to not use the right words, for them to use the words that that work for them, that make sense to them to express this new reality that they're experiencing in their lives. And then if you know the language and can help them to, to grasp the language, then obviously you can do that. But in the beginning, that's not the requirement <laughs> to know the, the lingo. Yeah, right. And and what you said, uh, I mean, like, you know, Christ taught in parables. You were talking about metaphors right. and things. I see patients who come in and, you know, they're professing Christians. They're serious. They want to be, you know, good at it and all of, of that. But the materialism is so entrenched from their education that they read it as a material text and miss some of, of the richness of this, in spite of the fact that Christ was speaking in, in parables. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, and the symbolism so rich. That's what makes it beautiful. I think the scriptures. Oh, absolutely. 
it's the inspired breathed word of God. So it's gonna it's gonna come alive in in lots of ways depending on 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 where you're at. For me, one of the key elements for spiritual formation is engaging with the Bible. Sixty six mm -hmm. ancient documents written mm -hmm. in three languages over on three continents over about a thousand six hundred years, and yet even though it's ancient, it's the first book that is banned from any totalitarian government that takes over a country of whatever stripe. Bible is illegal in so many countries still in mm -hmm. 2021. Yeah, that's true. And for me, sometimes it's reading big chunks. Sometimes it's focusing on a little thing. Sometimes it's maybe a devotional book that'll take a scripture and then kind of the author will share some thoughts about it, you know, that really, and or throw out a question for me just to dwell on that day. Dwelling is a big part of it. That's kind of the time that you two are talking about of this waiting, creating space. So for me, scripture is a big part of it. And for people who are curious, I know Kim mentioned you can start in Genesis, you can start in the Gospel of John. <laughs> Those are two of the 66 ancient documents, but right. there's some good online tools and some good apps. But I think one of the things that, and Marty, I'd be interested in your practice. I can have a thousand good intentions, but until I put one of them, just one of them into action, they're not, the thousand good intentions aren't worth squat. So I guess my question is maybe for both of you, Marty, as you see that in your practice here in the US and Michigan, or Kim, as you see people putting things into practice, the role of scripture or spiritual formation or putting into practice some things not in the US, we think we know what Christianity looks like. And we think it looks like an old white person's religion. If we're listening from the United States of America, perhaps in certain places, but that's not the face of Christianity. And as people are moving to embrace, moving to spiritual formation, what are some of the things that you've seen? The spiritual disciplines, that's the, the phrase that we use to talk about these patterns that we create for ourselves. And they don't have to be massive or, or big, but but repetition and habit is, is important, just like anything. And so a, a lot of different cultures express their Christianity through these disciplines in different ways. So for instance, in the, the Korean Christian culture, prayer is a significant, significant spiritual discipline, as is Bible study and things of that nature. But the Korean church is just really in touch with the spiritual discipline of prayer, and they, and they practice it with intensity and regularity all over the world where whenever uh, the Korean church is in those places, you'll see prayers or people going to, to the church to pray at four in the morning or five in the morning. And they do that regularly or getting up in their own, you know, in their own spaces to do that on a very regular basis. So that's one example, I think. In other parts of the world, there's, you know, Bible study is, I think, a universal. I think you're absolutely right. The role of scripture is, is really, really important. And there are tons and tons of ways to do it. So you don't have to feel like you're doing it wrong because there's just a wide variety of ways to read scripture. But developing those habits, I think, is really, really important. And you, you won't be able to de develop them if you don't start and start kind of small. You know, you don't have to, you don't have to say, I'm going to read five chapters every day, you know, just bite off a little bit at a time. Think about it. Like you said, dwell on it, let it 
carry over to, to the rest of your day. Jot, get a little notebook, jot down your thoughts when you happen to be reading it and, and what, what comes to your mind or, you know, there's all kinds of, of ways in which we can develop that. That's awesome. Marty, I know people come to see you because they are suffering. Mm-hmm. What are some of the spiritual disciplines that you share with your patients? Because it's therapy, mm-hmm. you know, as you're from a psychological standpoint, what are some of those disciplines that you've seen most helpful for people? Because I'm a psychologist and I'm not a, a pastor and I'm not a, but, you know, spirituality is being incorporated more and more into medicine, as we've talked about before, right? Because we know it's important for healing, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody needs forgiveness. I don't care if you think you're a Christian or not. People are awful to themselves. They're tough on themselves. We talk about that. I don't know why that is, why we do that. Maybe it's because we learn it. We treat ourselves the way we were treated. I don't know, but everybody will need some of that. So a lot of the times what Christ taught isn't necessarily, you know, I'm, I'm not a pastor or preacher. I'm not called to do that. I'm not qualified to do that. But the root causes of a lot of these sufferings, the major suffering that Christ addressed are the same things that psychology is addressing. So I try to be culturally sensitive, you know, interpersonally or, or, or individually sensitive to, to, to them as individuals and what they believe. But if they are professing Christians, then boy, we can really get into it at, at that point. I don't know if that's a good answer or not, but yeah, it's an answer. Well, I think also in our current culture, you know, there's a lot of emphasis on things like mindfulness and mm-hmm. things like that. Those kinds of words get get used a lot. And, and I think that's that is, in fact, a Christian spiritual discipline of mindfulness, of stif- of sitting with yourself and opening yourself to whatever it is that you are feeling in, in any given moment. And that, I mean, we may call it mindfulness, it's a form of prayer. It is part of the practice of prayer. And that then opens us to whatever it is that, that we're feeling so that we can bring all that to God. I think one of the things about prayer that we get confused about or think we can't do it. And so we're like, how, how do I do this spiritual discipline of prayer? I just, I'll either fall asleep, you know, or I just am reading things that don't, you know, aren't meaningful to me. But when we realize that that really prayer is the act of opening our whole self to God, that all the, all the fear or all the feelings of needing forgiveness or not feeling that you're worthy, all the things that you were just talking about that people come and beat themselves up with, that's what we, that prayer is the act of just laying that out before God, however angry we are, however sorrowful, whatever it is, just honestly laying it out toward to, to God and, and then being mindful of that of that feeling and allowing God to do what God does best, which is to pour out his spirit upon us and enable us to gain whatever insight it is we need to to gain as we are quiet and mindful about this honest outpouring that we've given to God. And if you read scripture, that's all throughout the Psalms is the, all the Psalms are, are people just pouring their heart out to God, all their anger, you know, all their sorrow. There's some crazy anger in the Psalms. There's some crazy anger in the Psalms. You know, why have you abandoned me? Or right. there's all kinds of, of stuff in there. But it's simply the honest laying bare my soul and allowing God the space and time to minister to me in those moments. So that was well put because, Matt, I talked to you. No, really, I, I mean that because um, I didn't know how to pray. I know how to ask for stuff, you know. I didn't know how to pray. So I didn't know if I was pregnant or not. And I went to Matt and the first meeting said, I've just been sitting 
and just being in the presence of God. And that's enough. And I'm satisfied by it. Is that prayer? Just, and I said, I, yeah. I think, yeah. yeah, I was going to say, yeah. hopefully Matt said yes. <laughs> yeah, gonna smack you. Yeah. And why didn't I know that? You know, I should know that. But why didn't, why don't I know that? I remember, Marty, one of your early questions with these encounters and you're having dreams and your images were powerful um, in mm. your mind there. And you said, is this the Holy Spirit? And I just thought you were this guy off the street. I knew nothing about you. And I'm like, just that God gave you that question to ask. Yeah, I knew something because I hadn't experienced it before. I was sure it was good, but I need someone to tell me that. Mm-hmm. My, my fear is that I'm going to be arrogant because that's poison. And that was my poison. I'm feeling like I needed to be recognized because I didn't think I was something worldly enough, you know, good enough. But, you know, we need we need each other to do this. Like we talked earlier, I get lost if I'm too isolated in this stuff, you know, and then the world starts working on me. And then before I know it, I'm not doing my morning devotions anymore. And I don't even remember when it stopped. Yeah. And that I'm sure is especially difficult, challenging right now in the context of what everybody's going through with, uh, with the current, you know, the pandemic and everything else. It's easy to get separated from the people that we need in our, in our walk. And then just to get sucked into our own way of viewing things that may or may not be accurate. So... Kim, you were talking about the sense of time, the sense of rhythm, the sense of trust of people from other cultures than our North American Midwest culture. And that is what happened to me that when COVID shut down, at first I was relieved because all my appointments were getting canceled and everything. that lasted for about <laughs> two, two days or three days. And then I'm like, I, and I totally lost, I lost so much of of my peace, so much of my comfort, so much of my joy, so much of my knowing what to do, because I had no rhythm that I was walking mm-hmm. with or yeah. working with. or And and that is one of my, from my more limited experience with world travel and meeting Christ followers from other countries, watching their rhythm, and a lot of them have really full days. Mm-hmm. They are doing a ton of work and and yet they've got this rhythm and it's not in a box like ours is. Mm-hmm. Allow a more holistic kind of a, an approach. And and the, their mental health, I know it's always a challenge everywhere, but I think that there is less mental disease or more mental health, partly because they relate so well. So many people live with more family than we do and they're not so spread out like we are which has advantages and disadvantages, but to see the the mental health of those folks with their more flowing rhythm has been really something. And it makes me kind of sit up and take note of how much I pack my schedule and how much just this conversation is making me reflect on that. And what is my rhythm? I think that's a great, I mean, that's a great way to, to describe it as, as a rhythm. And each of us may have a little bit different rhythm, but the fact that we work to, to get that in a, in a way that is help, helpful for us uh, is just really, really important to our physical life and our, and our mental life and our spiritual life. That's, it's just really important thing. And I do think that you're absolutely right, Matt. It, in lots of different places outside of the United States, there is a, a more relaxed understanding of, of, of rhythm and a recognition that if it is not able to be done, <laughs> there's another day to do it. <laughs> and, and to not, not put quite as much pressure 
on yourself to accomplish and to do all those things. We're driven by so much of that in our culture. That is a damaging thing. But rhythm is so important. Absolutely. Any word from the psychologist before we wrap up about any of that? About any of that? Um, yeah, ri- rhythms and rituals have become very important to me. Even making the sign of the cross, you know, to remind me to look above. Because too often I get caught up. I mean, you know everything about me right now. You know what's going on with all that stuff. And it's it's a struggle to do that. Those things help quickly. It's almost like a switch where I'll at least change my focus. Yeah. You know, our American culture, where we are coming from within our American culture, there's many cultures within America. Right. From our American culture, it is look inside your heart and be true to yourself. That's kind of the mantra. Not just of the Disney movies anymore, but <laughs> of everything. Mm-hmm. Look inside yourself, follow your dreams, follow your heart. And what we're talking about is a very different message. It's Christ saying, look up and what you see me doing, do it. You know, if you love me, you'll, you'll obey my commands, which sounds scary, but it's the pathway to freedom, I think. Exactly. Well, and part of recognizing that and part of embracing that kind of an, an idea, that kind of a message from Christ is, is knowing that, that Christ has my very best interests at heart. God wants nothing more than for me to, to be healthy and whole and flourish. And so looking up as opposed to looking in isn't that because I don't care about my own self. And because I don't, I'm not trying to negate my own self. I'm looking to the one who can truly make me the whole person that God intended me to be in the first place. And we, we've just got it. We've just got it backwards. We just have it backwards. So. That's awesome. Dr. Kim Reisman, thank you for being here. This is great. Really enjoyed it. Really oh, enjoyed so it. Glad. The conversations that Marty and I have just opened me up to so much more to bring you on or some of the other people we've brought on. It's just good to talk about that and to see the different perspectives that people are coming from. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, before we go, Kim, I wanted to just give you an opportunity to let us know what some of the resources are because World Methodist Evangelism isn't just for Methodists. It's not just for world Christians. It is for so many of us. Tell us how we could find out more information about World Methodist Evangelism, including ways to participate or some of the resources that you have for people like us. Yeah, great. Thank you. The World Methodist Evangelism website is probably the best place to go if you want to find out about who we are and what we do. And you can go there at worldmethodist.org. On there, you can find all the, the different things we do. You can you can find out about the, the different training opportunities that we have going on around the world. Those training opportunities are for, obviously, the people on the ground in those places, but we frequently take groups from the United States to join us. And as COVID kind of eases up and we're able to travel again. That's just a really great opportunity to encounter Christians in in, in other parts of the world and join them. We also have a a resource called Embrace, Showing and Sharing the Love of Jesus. And you can order that off the website. It's a small group study, six weeks. And you can do that on your own. You can do it in a small group or you can do it in a workshop setting. And all of that information is contained on the website. So, and all kinds of other stuff that you can then learn about the different resources that we have that are available. We also have a YouTube channel. You can search for World Methodist Evangelism on YouTube. 
see a bunch of training videos there, particularly a set, a set of videos called Plain Truth, which is uh, a series of 20, 20 short videos that answer basic questions about Christian faith. Basic as in like, what is who is God and who is Jesus Christ? And it's the most basic pare down answer you can think of. So that's another good good thing to, that you can look for. But the website, tons of stuff on there that you can discover about us. I need to say one thing because I've been to some of the training and some of the regional events. I got to be in Herrenhut, Germany, just after the wall went down, the Berlin Wall. And I got to be in Cuba. Mm-hmm. I got to be in Brazil. There's a lot of events for young adults. And yes. to be in a place where there's people from 60 different countries, yes, uh, all doing life together for a week is just a mountaintop kind of experience. So we just wanted to put in a plug for some of the actual events and the trainings are really cool. And you don't have to talk about diversity because you just are. are. <laughs> That's true. Events, That's it would true. Be redundant. That's and true. They have translators and they've got just an amazing group of people that's that are putting these things together and just wanted to be sure to give a shout out to the events as well as some of the training materials. Do you also have a podcast? We do have a podcast. It's called Real Faith, Real World, and it usually drops every other Monday. And it's also on all the different podcast channels, just like you guys are. So Rob Haynes is our director of education and leadership, and he kind of leads the same kind of thing that we're doing here, interviews and good conversations about all kinds of different topics. Thank you so much for being here and thanks everybody for listening. And what can we pray for you for? Just pray that the world evangelism would continue to be open to the leading of the spirit so that we would do the things and, and engage with people in the, in the exact way that God wants us to, to do it. You got it. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this conversation. I thank you that not only are you at work around here, you are at work in some awesome ways around the globe. I thank you, God, that when you think about it this way, the Christian church is the most diverse human organization in all of history. When you consider the the billions of people from every culture who worship you in their heart language. And God, it's so unique, and yet there's such a unity when we have a chance to share hearts and to get people together. And thank you, God, that you have made us in your image. And even though that image in our world is flawed because of the reality of, of our brokenness and sin, that, that you sent Christ to mend that, to embrace, to reconcile. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to help us to understand that and to dwell in that. And Lord, I thank you so much for Kim and for her ministry, for her friendship, for the lives that she touches. And pray that a blessing on her and that the World Methodist Evangelism stuff, all that's going on, God, that your Holy Spirit would be guiding conversations and translations and next steps for them. And I thank you for our conversation today. I ask that you would be with us as we go from here. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, Matt. Yes. True or false, if you become a patron, you can do it on lots of levels and there's all kinds of cool swag and we're going to be doing a Q&A when we get a few more people involved and that there's a special offer on a Gator and you can uh, get all of these videos emailed right to you. True or false? 
That is so true. There's some really cool stuff available for people who support us on a monthly basis and who support this ministry, if you want to call it that, that we're trying to minister to people through conversations about scripture, theology, and psychology. It's pretty unique. And I'm all about the bling, you know. How about this one? Uh, True or false? We are not only in the United States, but we're growing in other continents, such as Africa. Yeah, there's people from other countries who are tuning in and who are getting involved. True or false? Anyone can get involved right now by going to patreon.com and searching The Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. That is true. And you can see the different levels of involvement. There are some people who are able to give $5 a month. There's some people who can give $100 a month or more. I like the dollar donors too, because that tells me that here's someone who really, really wants to do it. That really encourages me. There's expenses that we have, even though it sounds like we're just having a conversation. They, The folks who do our editing and things like that clean it up and make it sound terrific. And they get it on the platform so that more and more people can enjoy it. Please come on board. It's a lot of fun. Do, do some good in the world. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. You can check out the show notes from this episode, get free resources, discover more about our work, and all the ways to subscribe so you never miss an episode of the show. Head over to drmartinfletcher.com.